This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Necessary Roughness, brought to you by Southfield Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. With 11-year NFL veteran, Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year, and captain of the National Championship Michigan Wolverines, John Jansen. And 10-year NFL veteran, two-time Pro Bowl offensive tackle, and Super Bowl champion with the Green Bay Packers, T.J. Lang. Now, here's John Jansen and T.J. Lang. So, TJ, we got a lot to cover today. Um, we're going to talk about the optimism that Lions fans have right now. Uh, but I start. I want to start with a quick question. Um, who is or is there a couple players that are the best players that you played against in your career? Um. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because it's, 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 I find it hard when I think back to my time, like, I played Reggie White. Are you at talking the about guys the, that are considered like the best of all time? No, the toughest guys that you guys played you against. Played? Yeah, well, okay. like because there's always that one guy. Like it, it could be a no name guy. Maybe you don't even remember his name, but the yeah. team um, where it just gave you fits for whatever reason when you played against him, it just gave you fits. But it could be like I mentioned, I played against Reggie White. He was at Carolina. He was at the end of his career. I wouldn't put him in the top players that I played against, but it would be completely disrespectful if I didn't say, obviously he's one of the greatest defensive right. players of all time. Yeah. I played, uh, I, I was lucky. I only played Aaron Donald once and oh. he was young. Um, yeah. But you knew even when, when he was a young player that he was going to be special. Um, you know, there was a couple plays where, you know, I took a lot of pride in, in never really getting manhandled out there, but yep. he put me on my back a couple times and it really was like, Dude, <laughs> whoa, like this dude's got some freakish strength, man. So he was probably uh, the overall best player, you know, because I think he's going to be considered one of the best defensive players, if not the best of all, uh, time. Of all time by the time he's done. And I, I played him once, and uh, I'm lucky. I was glad I didn't. That's also part of why I didn't want to sign in Seattle when I was a free agent. I didn't want to block him twice a year. <laughs> but, uh, Those was, all go into that decision. Yeah, he was a special player. Um Justin Smith, man, I, I I don't I never felt that guy got the the credit that he deserved. Uh, I know he started off as a DN in Cincy, I believe. Um, you know, had had a couple nice seasons, but I don't think he really lived up to that first round hype when he was in Cincinnati. And then he went to San Francisco and just turned himself uh, into a complete animal. Started playing more three tech and rushing yeah. over the guards in the center. And uh, he was just pound for pound, probably the strongest player I ever played against. I was going to say he might have been the strongest guy, like. When you hit him, it was holy. 
This guy didn't move at all. There's just no stopping his momentum. Yeah. I mean, you p- people remember this was a while ago, but you know, Alden Smith when he came in as a rookie had like 15 sacks the first couple years, and everybody was like, "Oh, Alden Smith is special." You go back and you watch the tape, and even playing against them, I mean. 90% of his sacks were coming off of what Justin Smith was doing. They used yeah. to run this TE stunt, and Justin Smith was just so good and sneaky at kind of holding the guard and then dragging him into the tackle, and then Alden Smith would just come around clean free for the sack in the backfield. He was, uh, I think he was the most, and I don't even know, underrated. I mean, Justin Smith got a lot of accolades. I think he was, you know, his last three or four seasons in San Fran, I think he was up there in the All-Pro and Pro Bowl um, type conversations, but he was just, uh, when people talk about, you know, best of all time, who you, who, who you played against, I mean, he, he was probably, he's definitely top three for me, um, if not maybe the toughest, because he was just special. And I'll tell you, I mean, another guy, um, Sue was tough. I mean, Sue was really tough. His first couple years, um, you know, when he was just getting in the league and trying to prove himself, make a name for himself, man, he was he was really hard to block. I mean, we we created a protection um, for Sue in, in in Green Bay, right? We we ran the old school West Coast offense where. Um, you know, you run it by numbers, so it's called two jet, three jet, and then all all that does is basically let you know which way the center's going to slide. Two jet, the center slides left. Three jet, center slides yeah. right. Uh, to pick up the weak side, well, we created a Sioux jet. So wherever oh, really? Sue lined up, That's where you the center the was sliding to him. We were going to try to double team him yeah. uh, as much as possible. Now we don't call that protection, you know, every single play. But when we played the Lions, I mean, it was probably 30%, 40% of the calls because he was just that guy where he could line up over the right guard. He could line up over the left tackle. He could line up over the center. And that was just a way that we had to kind of protect ourselves from um, – you know, avoiding a one-on-one matchup with him because he was just that good. So uh, he was he was up there as well. But I think an, uh, an underrated guy, a lot of people probably won't know, um, played for Chicago for a couple of years. His name was Henry Melton. He was a defensive end, defensive end slash tackle. Um, just like every time I played him, I'm just like this guy always seems to beat me once or twice yeah. every game, and I don't know how. He was just like this really kind of squirmy, quick little dude where you know you, you think you blocked him, and then he'd have this like really wicked spin move and get inside, and it's just like God damn, dude! Like yeah. I'm sick of this guy beating me because he was never, uh, you know, I don't even think he was a starter. He played like 15, 20 snaps a game, and you know, was never a Pro Bowl type guy. But uh, I every game I played him, man, there was just something mental going on where I'm like I hate blocking this guy like there's something just squirmy about him he always seems to get me at least once and I hate it yeah um, I mean you have those guys and you mentioned Aaron Donald and we're going to get to Lions talk here in just a couple of minutes but I know he's not at OTAs right now which is not breaking news there's nothing that's a big deal about that because as we mentioned he's one of the greatest defensive players of all time to play. And, I mean, you could go down the list of, of great defensive players, your great defensive linemen um, or ends, whatever it is you want to talk about, and it's it's a good list. Now, oh, yeah. the top of that list is rare individuals. Is there a concern? Because after they won a world championship, they won the Super Bowl, there was talk that maybe he was going to retire. That he just, whether it was that he didn't want to do it anymore, he wanted to go out on top, or it may have all been a ploy to get a new contract. Who cares, whatever reason. We're seeing guys retire earlier, and it feels like they're retiring before the end of their career. 
before Dude, the end of their prime. Before the end yeah. of their prime. Is there a concern that we may be watching the greatest defensive player of all time, but he may remove himself from that list because he's just going to retire before he racks up numbers, stats that would be compared to some of the other greats? I, I don't think so. I mean, I think even if he retired right now, he would still be considered one of the best defensive players of all time. Um, but I'm talking about separating himself as the best uh, of all time. Well, because, I mean, I mean yeah, let's, yeah, let's I, take a look at Barry. A lot of people, a majority, I don't want to say majority, I think Barry Sanders is the greatest running back of all time. But he probably retired a year or two before he he was done being great. Yeah, and you can make maybe make the same argument for Calvin Johnson. I know Calvin yep. was a little beat up at the end of his career, um, but he, I mean, there's a hell of an argument to that he's the best receiver of all time just skill-wise, right? Yep. I mean, the numbers that he was able to put up um, on, let's be honest, just a couple really bad teams. I mean, he was still able to produce at a really high level. Um, I don't know. I mean, look, I think Aaron Donald, I mean, if he retired, like, he's not going to have any records, right? I mean, yep. he's not up there in the sacks. He's not up there in, you know, TFLs, anything like that. Obviously, uh, those stats come with longevity, and the longer you play, um, the more you're going to keep racking them up. But, no, I think when it just comes to overall skill and talent, um, I don't think, you know, if he'd left that anything would hinder that. I think a lot of guys would stand by and say, no, he's the best defensive player, you know, the NFL's ever seen. Now, I don't think he's going to retire. I mean, I think a lot of guys, especially veterans, uh, when you make it, you know, when you're playing in February and your body's just beat to sh- and you are just mentally and physically exhausted, I think 99% of you guys guys would tell you they didn't want to play anymore, right? Just because it's so fresh and you're just, you know, you're you you just you're just so damn beat up that a lot of people start thinking about it, right? I think it's only natural. But, no, I, I don't see Aaron Donald going anywhere anytime soon. Um, and I don't think that, you know, I don't know if there's a – I'm not really worried about a trend you know, of that happening, guys retiring at a young age or, or leaving, uh, you know, before the prime is over. Because, look, these guys are making a ton of money right now. I mean, yeah. defensive players, you know, what, 10 years ago, I mean, guys were making, you know, $8, 9000000 million. That was a lot. Guys are going to be pushing 30 here pretty soon. Yeah. And that's just, that's going to be really hard to walk away from, especially when you're playing at such a high level. So I never, I don't take Aaron Donald as the type of guy that, um, is sitting there right now saying, okay, you just played six, seven seasons. I've accomplished everything I want. He just seems like that competitive dude that, you know, is going to go until he can't go anymore. And for him, I mean, realistically, that could be another 10 years, the way that guy takes care of his body. Uh, we all see in the clips and the pictures of him. I mean, to have that kind of physique at 290 pounds is absolutely incredible. So I don't think he's got – I don't think there's any risk of him leaving anytime soon. I mentioned we're going to get into some Lions news, and right now, is this the most optimistic Lions fans have been in an offseason? Now, everybody says the Super Bowl, the draft, all that stuff is, the the draft is the Super Bowl for the Lions because of the lack of success, no playoff wins since the early 90s, one playoff win at that since 1957, but in 2014... They went eleven and five. They had a couple nine and seven years um, as well under Jim Caldwell. Is this the most optimistic Lions fans have been from what you've heard? Those you've talked to the, you know, we, we've we've heard a lot in the media, especially after the draft, 
since, say, that 2014 season? Maybe 2018. Um, you know, I know 2017 we were coming off, uh, I believe, 9-7 and seven, seven record. We just missed the playoffs by, yep. you know, half a game. Um, that was the first, you know, of the major changes, you know, Bob or, uh, Bob Quinn bringing in Matt Patricia. I think there was a lot of optimism around there because we knew we had a pretty good team. Um, and I think the fans thought, hey, maybe, you know, just need to get the right coach in and this team's going to take off. I think uh, heading into that season, a lot of people were, uh, you know, picking, uh, picking us to, you know, maybe be kind of one of those surprise teams just because we were coming off of a nine-win season 2017. But that obviously didn't work out. Uh, we had had a tor- terrible uh, 2018 season. Um, but, yeah, I think, look, we hit on it all the time. I think, you know, when when – that last year when Dan Campbell came in and Brad Holmes came in, um, I think people knew just how challenging it was going to be. When you look at the roster, you look at Matthew Stafford leaving, you look at just so many holes that they had. I think for the first time in a long time, people finally had realistic expectations, you know, where you'd like to, you know, people thought they were probably going to win three, four, five games. It was going to be rough, but you wanted to see some improvement. Um, nobody was saying, hey, if they don't win eight games, you know, we got to get these guys out of here, right? I think people are being patient enough to give these guys a chance to kind of put their stamp on the team. But I think, yeah, I think the optimism, just look, and, and the hype, the media hype, you know, um, the news, you know, the hard knocks. A lot of people excited to see Dan yep. Campbell on hard knocks. Uh getting the draft back in Detroit. It just kind of seems like there's a lot of buzz right now going around this football team and in this city in particular. But yeah, I think there's a, there's a ton of optimism. And I, I think a big part of that is, you know, because people did see a lot of improvement last season, especially mm-hmm. in the second half of the year when Dan Campbell took over the play calling. Jared Goff, the last six. Jared Goff started playing a lot better. You look at a lot of the, even the tight games that they lost, that they were right there where they could have won. Um, I, I think those are all reasons that people saying, yeah, we expect, we expect them to take a jump in year two. Now, another factor is maybe because you feel like the rest of the division, you know, Chicago – who knows what's going to going on there? Minnesota coaching change, a lot of just so many unknowns. And Green Bay, obviously, everybody still thinks going to be, you know, the top of the division. But there's still question marks about them. You know, Aaron Rodgers is is sitting out. You know, the entire off season. I'm sure he'll be at the mandatory mini camps, but. You know, he's got a ton of new receivers, Sammy yeah, Watkins, Christian Watt. I mean, he's got a ton of young receivers that he's not going to be able to build chemistry with those guys until training camp. How fast, you know, are they going to be able to get off to a fast start? Or are they going to hit some some bumps in the road too? I think that's the, those kind of, when you look at the, the rest of the division in the North, I think that gives Lions fans a lot of hope too because you're not seeing a Minnesota team that you think is going to challenge, you know, for a playoff spot. You're not seeing a Chicago team that you think is going to be any good. And maybe a lot of people are predicting that Green Bay takes a step back I think that kind of couples into the the optimism with the Lions maybe taking that step into year two and maybe there being an opening uh for a potential you know change of guard there in the division well and so I don't know if you saw this but Peter King who writes an article for uh called Football Morning in America uh and it comes out Monday mornings did you see his power rankings I did not. Okay, so the way good. way too early power the rankings. The way too early power rankings, but they're I mean they're they're kind of legit, right? It's not we're not talking about you know college you know spring ball way right. too early top twenty five because you're talking about professionals. There's not as big of a turnover 
uh, year to year as there is in college football. So it is way too early. We haven't seen OTAs. We haven't seen mini camps. At least you know uh, uh, the the depth of them. Uh, we haven't seen any training camp or preseason games. But this goes to where I think the optimism is in this Detroit Lions team. And you mentioned some of this. Care to venture a guess as to where he has them out of 32 teams? Yeah. Where does he have the Detroit Lions? I would say I would say high teens. I'd say between 18 and 22. Okay, so okay, I'm did you just look it up? I did not. I swear okay. I'm not. <laughs> so between 18 and 22 uh is exactly 20, which is where 20. he has Okay, that's the right. <laughs> I'd say between 15 and 32. Yeah, somewhere hour. between 1 and 32. <laughs> um somewhere in that realm. Um, but this is what he has to say about the Detroit Lions. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he said, I did see, I did some reporting on the Lions in Dr- Detroit this month, and I'm higher on them than most. Consider how hard they played in a disastrous rookie's year of coach Dan Campbell and how despite winning only three games, they were 11-6 and six against the spread, indicative of a team outperforming expectations. Consider a schedule that includes eight games against the NFL's netherworld, which is the Giants, Jets, Carolina, Jacksonville, Washington, Seattle, and Chicago twice. Consider a team that entered December winless and finished 3-3, three and three, though the last one was against the pack playing out the string. So when you think about, okay, you take into account all of the factors of, yeah, they, they finished 3-3. Three and three. Uh, Dan Campbell took over the play calling, like you mentioned. The fact that Jared Goff... Seemed to play better at the end of the year. We saw Amon Ross St. Brow come on. The defense at at times outperformed expectations. Offense underperformed. Offensive line that was banged up, which is something that he didn't mention. And you bring all of that back. And if all goes according to plan, and by that I mean, hey, they're healthy. You get Jamison Williams back at some point in the very early part of the season, maybe even at the beginning of the season. Um, and Aiden Hutchinson makes a good transition from college to the NFL, you can start to see why people are looking at the Detroit Lions as, and you can say, well, maybe they're, they're, they're better than they were, but at least they're not as bad as they were, yeah. if, if that makes any sense. No, it does, and, and I think, uh, you know, just adding to what you said, I think a lot of people were pleasantly surprised last, let's just say the last half of last season with – how much the coaches got out of having so little, right? Does that make sense? I mean, without having, you know, a uh, 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 really, you know, stud uh, defender, the defensive player, stud, you know, safety, a stud linebacker, a stud the end. Um, but how hard, you know, Campbell and Aaron Glenn got those guys on defense to play, right? With with Jared Goff, um, you know, finishing the way he did without having, you know. <laughs> Any really premier weapons, right? I know Amon Ross St. Brown obviously started to develop there a little bit, but with TJ Hawkinson really being his own only guy for the majority of the season, um, how much they were able to get out of him, right? And like you said, the, the offensive line, I mean, those guys didn't play one single snap together as the starting five. Taylor Decker was out, uh, you know, early in the season, and then by the time he came back, Frank Ragnow was on IR. So those guys never even got to play a snap in the regular yep. season together. Um, that that all kind of combines into the fact that, look, they did – They I think they – 
exceeded, not, not going to say exceeded expectations because they still only won three games, but I think people saw uh, the challenges that they had on the roster, but were still able to get so much out of what they had. And I think that's promising because now you have even more pieces. You have an Aiden Hutchinson who people are expecting a lot out of. I think Josh Paschal, uh, people, he, obviously these guys are rookies. We're not going to hold them to a super high standard, but you're expecting these guys to come in and pr- be productive for you. And obviously on the offensive side of the ball too, adding DJ Chark, and eventually when we see Jameson Williams on the field, you're just adding more pieces. So I think just human nature tells you, hey, they got a lot out of little last year. They've got more. They've got to get a lot more out of that too, right, if that makes sense. so And I think um, some of it has to go with the development of some of the younger players. Like you expect Aleem McNeil to take a step forward. You expect Levi Onzariki from some of the things that we had – We've heard coming out of Allen Park that, hey, instead of going home, he stayed here to train. He's been watching film. He's he's battling the perception, uh, and the perception that I had early was that, hey, did he really care about football? Because when you watch a guy play, if he plays once every, you know, goes hard every, you know, once every two or three downs, or only when it's a third and long if you're a defensive end, or, you know, you pick and choose when you're going to play hard, that raises the question in my mind, do you really care about football? Are you really willing to do the things that you, – are you willing to get dirty to be good? Yeah. And he's battling that perception. Uh, so I expect them to to take that step forward. And it's also confidence in a coaching staff that they're going to be able to pull that out of those players, that they're going to be able to develop that defensive line that they drafted last year. And if they can – if they're able to develop those guys, you take a player like Aiden Hutchinson or a Josh Pascal that should be coming with more skills to utilize that they can get more out of those guys as well. A healthy offensive line, more weapons at the receiver position. Now it comes down to, and we've talked about this, we're going to talk about it more, the, ex- the ability of Jared Goff to execute this offense. And, you know, Ben Johnson, he's going to be calling the offense. It's supposed to be a revamped offense. Still a lot of the same principles that Dan Campbell was calling the plays with at the end of the year. And it's the identity of this team. It's going to be physical. You're going to be a run-first offense. You're going to have play-action passes off of it. But what type of creativity does Ben bring to this offense in his first opportunity to call plays in the NFL? Yeah, and I think the the just the final thing that I really like about Dan Campbell and the coaching staff is their ability to um, be fluid and change to what pieces they have. Meaning, you know, last year they they ran more of a three uh, four style of defense, right, where your defensive linemen are kind of just reading and reacting, um, you know, kind of playing lateral instead of playing vertical and getting up the field and getting in the backfield. Because, that, that, look, that you draft a guy like Levi Onzarike, who uh, in, at Washington, I mean, is just blowing up the field and making plays in the backfield, right? Then you ask him to come here, and he's kind of two-gapping, and that's just not his norm, right? Uh, he was also, he also bad a lot of injuries in training camp, which set him back last year as rookie season two. But their ability to say, you know what, we're going to switch to more of a Four three, we feel like our personnel gives us uh, a better advantage of maybe being that penetrating type defense where you know we're just going to get in the backfield and read and <laughs> read and react what happens back there instead of just playing everything at the line of scrimmage. I think that's 
says a lot about the coaching staff because especially nowadays with with the guys and and the egos that they have to say, well, if he can't do it our way, let's get somebody who can. Right? You take a look at your roster. Okay, maybe these guys are better at doing this. Let's adapt to that. Let's evolve to something different to allow our players to play to their strengths, right, and allow them just to do what they're good at and, and take a lot of the thinking out of it. So I think we saw it offensively last year, obviously, when Dan Campbell took over. Um, saw a little bit of a uh, fundamental uh, change offensively, what they were trying to do. And I think defensively this year, um, you know, just hearing the changes that they're prepared to make uh, heading into, you know, once they start camp here, I don't know, next couple weeks, um, I, I think that's really going to help the, the personnel that they have. And that says a lot about the coaching staff to say, you know what, put the goes aside put it let's just switch to our players and let's make them comfortable and let them play uh let them do what they're good at that 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 says a lot to me about the you know just the characteristics of the coaching staff yeah and that's one of the things that I've always admired about some of the best coaches and you you look at Andy Reid or you know you look at coaches that have had great success over a long period of time they're able to do it with with their principles in place but with different styles and and being able to utilize the individual talents that players come to them with, um, and you know obviously in in Philly Andy Reid was was able to do it with a, a quarterback somewhat similar to what he has in Kansas City with Donovan McNabb, but not as uh, not as prolific of a passer as Patrick Mahomes is. But you look at the creativity at which he operates that offense. You saw things in Philly that, uh, and I did, you know, twice a year where it was, hey, you never really knew what was coming. And it's the same thing in Kansas City. You kind of never really know what's coming because there's always going to be a few wrinkles. Um, And that's where I'm hoping Aaron Glenn defensively is going to utilize whatever those assets are that he finds in his coaching staff or in his players. He's going to accentuate those offensively. Ben Johnson, Dan Dan Campbell. How do they find a way to make or to get Jared Goff to have some of the same numbers he had early in his career because he's, he's really good at running an offense based on play action? Uh, you're starting to put together an offense that is going to be able to highlight those areas. Now, you know, in the run game, is DeAndre Swift the guy that can get it done? Um, you know, is Jamal Williams uh, that one-two punch, the guys that can get it done? They get the rest of that that backfield healthy. Are they going to have, uh, you know, that one-two-three punch where you utilize more than just one guy to get the bulk of the carries and the fact that DeAndre Swift, other than his you know first game in the NFL, the drop that he had against Chicago, which nobody's ever going to forget, <laughs> uh, unfortunately for him, but um, it's you know the ability to throw the ball out of the backfield, and um, we're going to talk more as this offseason goes on, break down position by position. We spent some time on offense this week. We're going to talk more defensively next week and how Aiden Hutchinson, Pascal, and some of those new guys fit into this defensive scheme that is Aaron Glenn's defense. But we appreciate you. We want to make sure that you get this every day in your inbox every week when it comes out. So make sure you like, subscribe to Necessary Roughness. It's Ben Lang and Jansen.